0: beautiful three-year-old daughter Nora, she loves spaghetti bolognese, uh, particularly the one that Rebs makes. And, you know, eating spaghetti is one of the messiest things you can eat, right? Even as an adult, you know, you're trying to grip those long spaghetti noodles with a fork, you know, you've got the red sauce, And as you eat them, the noodles fall off and the ones you actually succeed putting in your mouth, you actually got to kind of, you know, slurp and get it all in and then it splatters all over your face. And you end up only getting into your mouth, about 10% of actually what started on the floor. You know, the rest is on a table, on the ground or on your shirt, right? And I could see a few parents kind of acknowledging that. And, you know, the thing about red tomato sauce is for me, I think, it's one of the hardest stains, I think, to get off. So knowing all this, I'm like, Nora, I'm going to help you eat that spaghetti. So I've got the fork and obviously her older siblings are eating themselves. So she wants to have a go. So here I am, hold the fork, I'm twisting the noodles and Nora's holding onto my hand and helping me do that. And, you know, we get the first many spoons in successfully without making too much mess. It's peace at the dinner table. You know, we're all happy. And I leave my seat for a split moment and I I tell Nora, I'm gonna go grab some water from the kitchen, wait for that. So I go to the kitchen, I come back in about 10 seconds or so in the next moment, I see spaghetti on the ground on her shirt her face and this girl attempting to eat that on her own, wondering and getting frustrated why I can't, why she can't do this. You know, she was trying to do on her own, essentially what I was doing for her. She thought she could do it because she was overconfident in her own ability. You know, in a slightly similar way, In today's passage, we see an example of what self-reliance apart from God can look like. Today, I've titled this sermon, Faith in the Mountain Mover, and I want to highlight three points. Number one, faith in self. Number two, faith in God. And number three, living the faithful life. So why don't we jump straight into point number one, faith in self. Last week, we saw in Matthew 17, the story of the transfiguration. You know, Jesus shining in glory, conversing with Elijah and Moses. Now, after this magnificent moment of the transfiguration, Jesus and the three disciples, as mentioned before, They went up to the mountain with him and now are on their way down to where the remaining nine disciples were. And as they get closer, here they see a crowd. And this young man approaches Jesus and says that he has a sick son who often has seizures and suffers terribly. In fact, what we do know is that he's actually demon-possessed. You see, initially, the man had brought this young child in the hopes to see Jesus. You know, I could imagine him approaching the nine disciples and saying, hey, can I see Jesus? Where is Jesus? My son is extremely ill, and I know that Jesus can heal him. Can you lead him, lead me to him? You now, the disciples would have said, well, he's not here, he's up in the mountains, but never feed, we the nine disciples are here you know i could imagine the confidence that these nine disciples would have had to heal this child and they had every right to be confident why well we saw in chapter 10 of matthew of how jesus sends out his disciples with authority to heal the sick read with me in matthew 10:1. And he, Jesus, called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. You know, we see this referenced again in Luke 9, chapter 1 as well. It says, And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and with this newfound authority that was given by Jesus the disciples went out and healed and chased out demons and in fact we see further down in Luke 9 verse 6 and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Can you see that they've done this before they've healed the sick They've chased out demons and all this with great success. So you would think that as this man with this child with epilepsy approaches them, that the nine disciples would have great confidence to heal and chase out the demon out of this boy. And they had every right to be confident. But as we read on in Matthew, was this the case? Absolutely not. The man cries out to Jesus in verse 16, and he says this in verse 16, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. You know, if I was one of those nine disciples, I would have been greatly perplexed and embarrassed. You know, it says there was a crowd, and you would imagine everyone gossiping among themselves, saying, "What? Well, aren't they meant to be Jesus's disciples and you know possibly the pharisees amongst them voicing that there are some illnesses Jesus and his disciples cannot get rid of the disciples would have been confused and I could imagine all nine of them having a go and failing you know if it was me I feel like I would have said Bartholomew you obviously don't have the power anymore get back Let me show you how it's done. Or, you know, Philip, you're doing it wrong, mate. You're doing it wrong. Let me show you how to do this. And then obviously failing too. But why did they all fail? You know, perplexed. That's what I would be. And probably also what the disciples were thinking. Why could we do this before but not now? What has happened? And Jesus seeing all this commotion goes on in verse 17 after seeing the disciples fail at healing this child and most probably others around thinking Jesus is not who he claims to be Jesus says this he says "O faithless and twisted generation how long am I to be with you how long am I to bear with you bring him to me" we see this unusual outburst from Jesus. You know, he's fed up with the faithless. He calls the people, and this is not targeted just to the disciples, but all who are listening. He says, faithless and twisted generation. You know, another way to say this is unbelieving. You still don't believe who I am. And twisted, perverse, immoral people. Jesus is pointing to their wrong attitude towards God. They are twisted in their thinking and distorted in their spiritual attitude. They have become the focus rather than God. And Jesus, again, displays the power of who he is to that faithless, unbelieving and twisted self-centred generation. He comes to the scene and heals this child instantly. But you know what though, I think Matthew in this chapter, rather than concentrating on the fact that this child was healed by Jesus, I think he's trying to highlight a healing of another sort. Because we've seen Jesus heal and save many people throughout the book of Matthew already. You know, Matthew fifteen talks about how Jesus healed the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. We saw Jesus feed the four thousand people when they were hungry, and it says in Matthew nine fourteen and fifteen that Jesus had compassion for them. And again, Jesus had compassion for the sick child. But you know what? I think Jesus, in this high emotional state, had more compassion towards healing the spiritual paralysis of his disciples. His greatest compassion, I think, in this passage is with his disciples, his followers. He wants to reveal to them that they have started to put themselves at the center, in their confidence to heal, and have begun to treat their powers to cast out evil as a new possession that they own. Friends, as followers of Jesus yourself, can you sympathise with the nine disciples? Can you relate to them? You know, they trusted in the power of God to heal. Then they became confident in their ability. They became the centre of focus. But friends, aren't we all like this to some extent? So, friends, we need to be vigilant. The evil spirit is always ready. It's always ready to pounce on planting that very dark thought in our hearts that says that all we need is faith in self, confidence in self. But, friends, if you are to do the Lord's work and do it successfully, we must look beyond ourselves beyond our commission, beyond our personal qualifications. We must look beyond our former successes and instead look for a present anointing by the Holy Spirit. And by faith, we must hang upon the living God from day to day. And you know what? This passage is a real blessing towards us today because I think it reminds us That the lord always intends that we should have something fresh come across our paths to keep us getting into ruts like this you know for the apostles this strange case wakes them up they have something to deal with now that is very different from what they had before and in the same way for us perhaps even in our christian life things get merely mechanical you know but the lord permits us sometimes to have trouble in the church or a shock in the family or problems at work or university so that we may wake right up and not go on mechanically with no spiritual life in us. And you know what? Anything that makes us often come back to Jesus must be a blessing to us. So friends, go back to Jesus. If you failed and have put faith in self this last week, This passage shows us that there are going to be failures. Can you imagine if the Bible never, ever gave us stories of failures? If this passage wasn't here, every time we followers of Jesus put confidence in ourselves and failed, we would think that we were a failure to Jesus. But this passage was also given to us so that we could see that even those apostles that Jesus had chosen failed. And instead, through the word, Jesus is teaching us from the very mistakes of the disciples that it's not faith in self. It is not faith in self, but faith in God, which leads me to my second point, faith in God. Read with me in Matthew 17, verse 19 to 20. And it says this. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. What does that mean? Is Jesus saying that quantity is a crucial aspect of faith. He says little faith. He says faith like a grain of mustard seed. You know, a mustard seed, I did some Googling, a mustard seed is approximately two millimeters in diameter. It's like this tiny. It's as thick as a 10 cent coin. That's how small a mustard seed is. It's tiny. That is faith about quantity. Well, friends, I don't think Jesus is trying to emphasize quantity here. For if it was a quantity issue, he would have emphasized the difference between small faith in comparison to a large faith. But in fact, what he is saying is that even if your faith is small, as small as a mustard seed, it's not about the size. It's not about the quantity. But rather on what your faith is in. What is the object of your faith? Because faith itself, right, it cannot do anything no matter how small or how big it is. Faith itself cannot move a feather from here to there, no matter how large your faith is. But what Jesus wants his disciples to know is who? Who is the object? Of your faith. And as we mentioned before, the object of our faith must be in God. If we think we can heal this child, it's not going to work because the object of our faith has become myself. I think I can heal this child. I've done it before. I can do it again. Watch me. But rather, Jesus is saying if your faith is in God, If you know that you can't do this, but only God can, and you go to him humbly and cling on to him, then he will do it. The object of our faith must be God. So what does Jesus say is the result of those whose faith is in God? Read again with me in verse 20. It says, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus says that you can move mountains. You can move mountains. Friends, when's the last time you've seen or heard of anyone say that they've moved a mountain? or have seen someone else move a mountain? Probably never. And if you have, I recommend you check your sources because really, really when Jesus spoke about moving mountains in those times, it meant something actually different. In those times, this term was actually used as a metaphor. It meant something else. It meant meant that referring to mountains was the meaning of stability. That, that makes sense, right? I think it still means stability to some extent, right? Hence, to move something stable like a mountain will mean doing the impossible. It's overcoming something that is extremely difficult. So when Jesus says that with faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains, it means that with the faith, you can do the impossible. You can overcome something that is extremely difficult. And just in case you actually thought it means moving mountains, the last few words in verse 20 says, and nothing will be impossible for you. Moving mountains is doing the impossible. The result of small faith. Faith as tiny as a mustard seed can do incredible things. Not because of the size of your faith, no, but because of who your faith is in. The object of your faith, which is God. Even the smallest faith, but faith in God is what produces change. And the smallest faith produces the greatest thing, like the previous parable of the mustard seed that is planted to produce the largest tree. Theologian Michael S. Horton says it brilliantly like this. He says, mountain-moving faith is mountain-moving because of the mountain-mover. I'm going to read that again. Mountain-moving faith is mountain-moving because of the mountain-mover. Because it's all about the object of our faith. The reason why these disciples could not kill this child is because the mountain mover had become themselves rather than trusting that it can only be done through the power of God. Friends, Jesus actually is the prime example of this type of faith being exemplified. He lived the God-centered life and was someone who completely, completely focused on God he's able to tell his disciples the very reason of their failure because he knows exactly what is required to heal this child. In fact, Jesus deals with this child differently in the sense that although Matthew states that he had epilepsy, actually the main cause is because he was demon-possessed. And Jesus rebukes the demon and says, come out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Jesus was able to do this because he had complete faith in what the father could do. His obedience and trust and faith is always on God and God alone. And he knows this well. And so he tells us there are no limits to what can be done with someone who has faith in God. So friends, what is your faith lie as you consider the mountains that you are moving in your life? Where have you placed your faith as you go through the struggles of health? Where have you placed your faith as you go through this, as you go through your studies and future goals? Where have you placed your faith as you apply and send out your resumes to hundreds of different organizations? Where have you placed your faith as you head to work and deal with the difficulties of work situations Where have you placed your faith as you parent and shepherd your children Where have you placed your faith as you build on your marriage Where have you placed your faith as you consider as you consider sharing the word of Jesus with your neighbors friends or family Now the text we read today, tells us that our faith, no matter how small our faith may be, must be in God, because only he can move the mountain in your life. Now, some of you guys may be thinking, right, Richard, actually, I've placed my faith in God in all these circumstances and situations. But you know what? My mountain has not moved. Well, friends, I think maybe perhaps your mountain has moved. You're perhaps not seeing it. Because sometimes what we want to see is a result, an outcome that satisfies my outcomes. You know, my mountain is career success. Well, I've put my faith in God, but I'm still in my current role, so my mountain hasn't moved. Or I've invited my friends to Alpha and they've rejected the invite, my mountain hasn't moved, and so forth. You know, what's going on, right? Is faith real? Like, why don't we sometimes see results even though we put our faith in God? Ironically, you know, when we think this way, we are in fact putting faith in ourselves again. Why? Because perhaps you're not trusting in the outcomes God has provided and instead trusting in the outcomes we want. And so we become the center of our faith again. Friends, the object of our faith is God and his promises in the truth he has revealed. You know, the Bible never promises believers that they will be healthy or wealthy. You know, Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 was probably a physical disease. And though he prayed three times for deliverance, God said no. Similarly, it wasn't God's will to heal Paul's ministry partner, Trephimus, and it wasn't because Paul lacked mustard seed faith. Therefore, the mountain-moving faith then is based on God's promises on what is revealed in his word, not on what we wish will happen or even fervently believe will happen. So what is that promise? What is the mountain that needs to be moved or is being moved in your life? We've seen so many instances of what this promise is as we've gone through the book of Matthew. And I'll share a few. Read with me. First one is Matthew 1, verse 21. She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, says this, Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 9, verse 2 says, And behold, some people brought to him Jesus, a paralytic, lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven Matthew 17 5 this is the last one behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased listen to him listen to him the mountain moving faith that is required in all of us is the faith to believe the wondrous story of his incarnation. It's to believe that the infinite almighty heaven, almighty king in heaven, came down to earth as an infant in human form. That he who was king of heaven became a servant of servants. It's believing that we can only be justified. We can be only saved through Jesus. It's to believe that his death paid the debt of our sins. And it's to believe and have faith that now we have no condemnation because of Christ Jesus. It's to believe that he is now in heaven, sitting on the throne, pleading and interceding for his people. And this, friends, this is the mountain Jesus once moved into the sea. This is the impossible that needs to move. As we continue to read Matthew, Jesus makes his way closer and closer and closer to Calvary, to the cross. Jesus wants his disciples and all the people of Israel to believe and have faith in the work that God is doing through his son Jesus. That through Jesus, people would repent and be saved from their sin and have eternal life with him. To have faith, the impossible that needs to move is the mountain in the hearts of those who don't believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ. And for the many of us who are here who already believe, it's to continue to hold on to the saving work of Jesus Christ in all our lives, no matter the circumstance or outcome. So when I put my faith in God, When the object of my faith is God, but my health is still bad. My studies and future goals are unstable. When parenting is still hard. When marriage is a struggle. When my dear family rejects my invite to Alpha. When that certain sin still has a hold on me. How's your faith going in all of this? Jesus wants you to have faith. He wants you to have faith, to believe that even though the law condemns you, even though you fall to sin again, even though life struggles still remain, to trust Christ, to put your faith in him. And when you do, that mountain is actually moved. Friends, mountain-moving faith is mountain-moving because of the mountain-mover. So how do we live this faithful life? Which leads me to my last point, point number three. So how do we live this faithful life? How do we keep God as the object of our faith? How? It's prayer. Praying needs to be at the core of our Christian living. I'm going to go to Mark chapter 9, which is the direct parallel of this story. And, and in verse 28 and 29 of Mark, we see this. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, like we read in Matthew, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Friends, prayer. You want to live a faithful life? We need to actively be praying. Why did Jesus say that only prayer could drive this demon out? Because through more time and effort we devote ourselves in prayer, the more we are spending with the Lord and therefore closer fellowship with God, which leads to growth in our faith in him, and him alone and pastor john piper in his devotional says this prayer is the open admission that without christ we can do nothing and prayer is the turning away from ourselves to god in the confidence that he will provide the help we need the very act of praying helps us to act on our faith. Why? Because through prayer, we are recognizing that without Christ, we can do nothing. The object of my faith is not me, but Him. Prayer turns away attention from me, but instead puts out attention and confidence in Him, the object of my faith. Prayer builds our faith. Prayer increases our faith. Now, Luke 22, 31 to 33, this is the scene just before Peter denies Jesus three times. And Jesus says this to Peter, also known as Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But listen to this, the very words of Jesus. He says, but I have prayed. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Is your faith weak? Pray, pray. In Luke seventeen five, 5, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So I want to encourage you all as you think about your faith. I want to encourage you to pray and ask, just like the apostles did, Lord, increase my faith. There's no shame in that. Even the apostles who are with Jesus all day and saw all the miracles had to ask for an increase in faith. Friends, let's do the same. Let us pray that Jesus would increase our faith so that what we trust and have confidence in is not of ourselves, but on God and him alone. Friends, to close off, I want to quickly read uh, James 5, 17, 18. It's a sermon I had recently heard and was really encouraging for me and I hope it encourages you. Um, And in there, I think uh, James 5, 17, 18 is specifically being put here to encourage us and build us in our faith. And it says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on earth then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit doesn't this give us confidence you know it says that elijah was a man with a nature like ours and in fact We see many others in the Bible who are just like us. And sometimes the problem with us is that when we pray for mountains to be moved, we think, or I think at least, I'm not Elijah, I can't do that. (laughs) Or I'm not Daniel, or I'm not Paul, I can't do that. My prayers don't have power. Now it's true that these people are old and New Testament prophets and they did do some crazy miracles. But James is pointing out that that's the wrong idea. Three, these great people like Elijah had a nature like ours. We are like them. And the whole point is that prayer, prayer is that mighty sword that anyone can hold on to, even in the hands of the weakest believers and the ones with the smallest of faith. Why? because we all have access to this power, because we all have access to this same God. So friends, do you wanna live a faithful life? Have complete dependence and confidence in God, Then pray and ask God for faith, more faith in Him. Friends, faith is not a condition you can achieve on yourself, but rather faith is belief, and that belief is not on yourself or anything of this world, but only in God. Jesus is saying that there are infinite resources open to the believer, and he is calling on those who follow him to exercise that faith they have. This includes you, friends. And if you're an unbeliever joining us today and hearing this message of faith and trusting and depending on God and the saving work of Jesus for the first time, then this message can be for you too. If you want the mountain mover to move your mountain and you're curious to know how, then speak to someone here today after service in the breakout rooms. Ask them more about who Jesus is. So... What will you do, friends? If you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour, then friends, you have faith more than the disciples did at that point in time because you believe in who Jesus is. Even the smallest faith, but faith in God is what produces that change. May God be the object of your faith in all of life's circumstances and trust in his sovereign hand as you pray and reach out to him, let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the mountain mover. And Lord, we wanna have complete dependence, trust, and faith in you. Lord, we thank you that we can hold on to Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord and King. And Lord, as we hold on to you, Lord, Help us regardless of the situations and circumstances that we might be going through to continue to rest and abide and have faith in your saving work always. Lord, we thank you for your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.